Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Kingdom Culture. We are living in the midst of cultural changes that most of us have never experienced. As a result, we see an ensuing chaos that some have dubbed the culture of outrage. However, as followers of Jesus, we are called to build a kingdom culture. This 12-part message series, Kingdom Culture, is focused on doing God's will to see the culture of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Well, good morning, everybody. As we've been talking about uh, all through this season, you know, we are living in the midst of cultural changes like none of us have ever seen before. Uh, we've gone through this change that has to be done because of COVID-19. We're wrestling as a nation with the racial reckoning that's going on. And then there's the political polarization that continues to divide people, even followers of Jesus. And as a result, what we're seeing is an ensuing chaos that some people have called the culture of outrage. Now, for followers of Jesus, we're called out of that culture of outrage and into the culture of the kingdom of God, or as I call it, the kingdom culture. You see, the kingdom culture is about living for Jesus and doing God's will in order to see the culture of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. For the next several weeks, we're going to be studying together what it means to live in the kingdom culture. And this study means that we're going to be looking at what our part is about being part of the kingdom of God. We understand that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom when he came to earth. And when he started his ministry and he called people to follow him. And and as a church, we're inviting everyone to engage in learning the culture of the kingdom by doing three things. We want to encourage people to join us on Sunday mornings, whether it's on campus or online, for our service to, to hear the message. Then we want to encourage everybody to join a life group where they can study and go deeper in a casual setting with one another. And as I said earlier, those can be virtual and in person. And then we want to encourage everybody to do some daily devotions. We're providing materials. You can pick up this kind of packet before you leave today. If you're online, you can arrange to pick one up uh, later in the week here on campus. We would love to get that to you so that you can go deeper. We've discovered as a church that when we do things together, when we're all on the same page studying the same material, that God creates an accelerated spiritual growth in our lives. And so we're excited about this study called Kingdom Culture. So let's jump into week one. In his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party, sociologist Tony Cambolo tells the story about how one time he flew from the East Coast to Hawaii for a conference, and when he reached there, the next morning, he woke up on East Coast time, which was six hours ahead of Honolulu time. So he found himself at 3.30 in the morning, uh, wandering the streets of Honolulu, looking for a place to get some breakfast. Uh, He found a sleazy place that he said uh, even calling it a greasy spoon wouldn't be that great, but it was a little diner, and he went in, and there was a a big guy behind the counter named Harry, and he came over, and he said, what do you want? And Tony says, well, can I get a cup of coffee and a donut? So he poured him a cup of coffee, and he he got a, a donut for him, and he said, as I sat there munching on my donut and drinking my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner swung open suddenly, and he said, To my discomfort, in marched eight or nine prostitutes, and they sat all around me. 
dressed provocatively and very boisterous. He said, you know, it was a small place and they sat on either side of me and their talk was loud and crude and I felt completely out of place and I was just about to make my getaway when I heard the woman sitting next to me say, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded to her saying, so what do you want from me? Do you want me to get you a birthday cake? Do you want me to throw you a party? And she said, come on, I was just trying to tell you It's my birthday. Why are you being so mean to me? Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling everybody, you don't have to do anything for me. I don't need a birthday party. I've never had a birthday party in my whole life, so why should I have one now? Tony says, when I heard that, I made my decision. I sat and I waited until the women had left, and then I called Harry over and I said, do they come in here every night? And Harry said, yeah. He said, the one who sat next to me, does she come in here every night? He goes, yeah, her name's Agnes. She comes every night. Why do you ask? He said, because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday. And I said, what do you say if you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? A cute smile came across Harry's chubby cheeks and he answered with measured delight. That's great. I like it. It's a great idea. And he called his wife in who had been cooking in the back room. He said, hey, this guy wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow. What do you think? She said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who's really nice and kind and nobody ever does anything nice or kind for me. So it was set. So Tony said, look, uh, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and I'll decorate the place and I'll even get a birthday cake. Harry said, wait, wait a minute, no way. The birthday cake is my thing to do. I'll make that. At 2.30 the next morning, Tony was back there. He had picked up decorations. They decorated the diner from one end to the other and they had a cardboard sign that said, happy birthday, Agnes. Harry had decorated a beautiful cake and... His wife had put the word out on the street. So by 3.15, Tony writes, every prostitute in Honolulu was in that place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes except me. At 3.30, on the dot, the door to the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready, he said, and we screamed, happy birthday. He said, never have I seen anyone so flabbergasted or stunned or shaken. Agnes's mouth fell open. Her legs started to buckle and her friend grabbed her by the arm to steady her. And she led her over to one of the stools at the counter to to sit down. And we all sang happy birthday. As we came to the end of the song singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you. Her eyes moistened. And then when Harry brought out the birthday cake with all the candles on it, Agnes just lost it and began to sob. Harry didn't know what to do. He, he, he gruffly mumbled, Agnes, blow out the candles. Come on, blow out the candles or I'll do it for you. And a couple of awkward seconds passed and she didn't blow out the candles, so Harry blew them out. And then he gave her a knife. He said, Agnes, cut the cake so everybody can have a piece of cake. And she turned to Harry and she said, look, Harry, if it's all right with you, I mean, if it's okay, if I, if I, I kind of want to ask you if it's okay if I keep the cake a little while. I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? 
Harry shrugged and answered, sure, it's okay if you want to keep the cake. Keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? Agnes asked. Then looking at them all, she said, I just lived down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. I will. As she got off her stool, she picked up her cake, carrying it like it was the holy grail. And she walked slowly to the door. Tony says, we all just stood there motionless until she left. And when the door closed, there was a stunned silence. And and not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say? We pray. Now, he goes, looking back at it now, it seems a little strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner at 3.30 in the morning. But that's what I did. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed for her life, that it would be changed. And I prayed that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter with a trace of hostility in his voice. He said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? Tony said, in one of those moments when you just had the right words, he goes, I belong to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then he sneered, no, you don't. There's no church like that because if there was, I'd join it. Tony concludes, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws parties for some of the down and out people no matter what time of the day it is? And he says, that's the kind of church that Jesus came to create. You see, when Tony walked into that diner that morning, he never expected what happened, that he'd be surrounded by a bunch of prostitutes. And while it made him uncomfortable, he sensed the nudging of the Holy Spirit to do something incredibly powerful and, yes, incredibly countercultural. He sensed the Holy Spirit saying, throw Agnes a birthday party because she's never had one in her life. You know, a lot of people wouldn't have done that. Let's be honest, most of us wouldn't have done that. In fact, most of us wouldn't have even stayed around in the diner when we were surrounded by a bunch of prostitutes. But Tony did that. And you know what? Jesus would have done that too. Why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus was concerned for the heart and soul of people. He didn't care about what people thought. He didn't care about keeping up appearances. He didn't care about who he hung out with or saying the right things. He was concerned about the hearts and souls of people and inviting them to in a relationship with God by entering the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ and following the will of God. You see that when Jesus starts his ministry. You know, when Jesus was 30 years old, he began his ministry. We read about it in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. He starts off this way. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when he says kingdom of heaven, he's saying the same thing as kingdom of God. So I do need to pause there just for a moment. If you're wondering why it says kingdom of heaven in Matthew, actually, when you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you'll discover it says kingdom of heaven almost exclusively. Why? Because 
Matthew was writing to an audience that was predominantly Jewish. And in Judaism, you never spoke the name of God. And so he wouldn't say kingdom of God. He would say kingdom of heaven. As for Mark and Luke and John, they were reaching more of a non-Jewish crowd. And so they felt like using the term kingdom of God would make more sense to that. But let's talk this morning about Jesus inaugurating the kingdom of God as we read it in Scripture. Let's talk about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, let's talk about what the kingdom of heaven is first. When Jesus began his ministry, the reason he proclaimed the kingdom of God on earth was because he was initiating by a declaration the new covenant where God would rule supremely on the earth. The kingdom of God would come fully in the future when Jesus returned, but he was declaring it was beginning now. We read in the book of Revelation what, when we will know the kingdom of heaven has fully come. And in Revelation 11, it says, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. In other words, when God brings Jesus back, when that kingdom of the world, the secular world that we live in, will become the kingdom of God. Now, broadly speaking, the kingdom of God is the eternal sovereign rule of God over the entire universe. But there's also a rather personal and and more understanding of the kingdom of God. So we need to understand this. The kingdom of God is the spiritual rule of God over our hearts and our lives when we willingly submit to God's authority. So when we come to faith in Jesus. We're entering into the kingdom of God. So we can extrapolate from this this idea that those who defy God's authority and refuse to submit to him, then they're not part of the kingdom of God. But in contrast, when we acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ and we surrender to God's rule in our hearts, we become part of the kingdom of God, even while we're living our lives on this earth. As followers of Jesus, we believe in and we follow Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, and as our King. We are part of His present kingdom right now on the earth. But when He returns, He will bring into being the future kingdom that we read about in the book of Revelation. So we will see that and we will follow Him now and we will follow Him then. You see, the culture of the kingdom of God is an upside-down culture according to the ways of this world. The kingdom culture is based on serving rather than on getting and having power. The kingdom culture is focused on giving rather than receiving. The kingdom culture is focused rather on loving than on hating. It's not like the world that we live in. It is completely counter-cultural. In fact, Jesus makes that very clear. When when Jesus was preaching his sermon on the mount, he talks about the culture of kingdom, of the kingdom of God, and he talks about the culture not being the easy way, but actually the right way, which can oftentimes be more challenging, more difficult. This is what he says in Matthew 7. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few 
ever find it. You know, in John's gospel, Jesus calls himself the way, the life, and the truth. He's the way to this kingdom. He's the life of this kingdom. He also says he's the gate. In other words, he tells us he's the way into the kingdom. In John chapter 10, this is what he says. He says, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. He's telling us that not only is he the entrance to eternal life, he's also the entrance to the kingdom of God while we're on this earth. And he's telling us that when we walk with him and enter by him, we will find life, both life eternally, but also life here on earth. The kingdom culture means following Jesus as our king and his way, which is always God's will for all of us. This means that we will submit our will to our king and we'll follow him. As Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Doing God's will is living the kingdom culture. Now let's look at that because the reality is doing God's will comes uh, into a conflict with, trying for, with us trying to do our will. And, and so we need to understand that. You know, if you go in the dictionary and you look up the word culture, you'll see some slight variations from dictionary to dictionary, but the one thing that you're always going to come away with is that a, that a culture is a way of life. You and I experience different cultures. You may have a specific culture in your family. You may have a different culture at where you work. Uh, kids have a culture at school, and quite honestly, now the culture that you were used to a year ago has dramatically changed because of the coronavirus Cultures can change. You know, cultures vary in our country from region to region. One of the things I've experienced as we've lived in New England is that so many people who moved to New England from different parts of the country struggle initially getting used to the culture of New England coming from the culture of where they were. We see different cultures when you're on sports teams. You see different cultures when you're in specific social groups and ethnic groups, and also even churches have their own cultures. We can go on and on with that. But for Christ followers, the only culture that matters is the culture of the kingdom of God. And we want the way of life of the kingdom culture to influence our participation in every other culture that we participate in. If we don't let the kingdom culture influence our, petition, our participation in those cultures, the opposite's going to happen. Those secular cultures are going to influence our lives and even push out the culture of the kingdom of God. You see, we can be tempted to trade the kingdom culture and its values for the cultures of this world. You know, maybe you've seen some of the examples uh, of different cultures. Sometimes Christians have allowed the ethnic culture that they were raised in to be superior to the kingdom culture. Friends of mine who once attended a church that was founded by immigrants from another country, and they said, you know, no matter how hard we tried to, to get involved in that church, it was always clear that there was something different. We weren't exactly included because we had come from a different culture, a different ethnic background, and it, it was challenging for us, and we never felt like we fit in. Sometimes Christians let political cultures invade 
the, cu- the culture of the kingdom of God. And I've heard Christians sometimes say, you can't be a Christian if you follow such and such political party. But that's not what scripture tells us. Sometimes we see Christians who take the culture of a, of a sports team that they're huge fans for, even to the exclusion of other Christians, letting the culture of that team and following that team push out others. And there's other examples that we could find of different cultures. Being a Christ follower, though, means we embrace the kingdom culture, which means we live our lives seeking to do God's will. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The behavior and customs of this world are the customs, uh, the culture of this world. Paul is drawing a line. He's saying that there's a culture of the world and there's a culture of the kingdom. You need to align yourself with the culture of the kingdom. Don't do what the world does. Don't do what everybody else says we should do. Do what God does. Let God transform you. We need to see something important here too. When we become a follower of Jesus... We accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We accept his forgiveness for our sins and we're forgiven and we become a brand new person. In other words, we we get a fresh start, but we still have the tendency to sin because scripture tells us we're all sinners. So following Jesus means living our lives for Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit change us to become more like him each and every day. Now this process is called sanctification. Sanctification, very simply, is is becoming more like God, becoming more holy. What this verse tells us is that we need to let God sanctify us. We need to let God transform us. And it's not a once and done process. It's ongoing. And that's good news because we make mistakes and we sin along the way. So we need that forgiveness and we need more transformation. The reality is this, as followers of Jesus, we never arrive, we never become perfect. The only perfect one is Jesus. But we need to follow him and continually allow God to transform us. Now, let's go on because it tells us that God transforms us by changing the way that we think. Instead of thinking about ourselves all the time, God transforms us into thinking about him and thinking like he thinks. It says God changes our thinking so that we will have the mind of Christ. So we'll know what Christ's mind is, his heart is, his desires, because he follows God's will. The will of God is the culture of the kingdom. I was thinking about this If you want to become a missionary and reach other people in other cultures, that requires that you study both the culture that you grew up in and the culture that you're going to be a missionary in. Missionary John Hess Yoder gives us some insight in recognizing culture so we can understand the kingdom culture. This is what he writes about his service as a missionary. He said, while I was serving as a missionary in Laos, I discovered an illustration of the kingdom of God. He said, before the colonists imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam 
reached an agreement on taxation in the border areas of their two countries. Basically, those who ate short grain rice and built their houses on stilts and decorated them with Indian-style serpents were, con were considered to be Laotians. On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice built their houses on the ground and decorated their homes with Chinese-style dragons were considered to be Vietnamese. You see, the exact location of a person's home was not what determined his or her nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose cultural values he or she exhibited. And so it is the same with us. We live in a world, but as part of God's kingdom, we are to live according to the kingdom of God's standards and values. So what that missionary was talking about is living our lives doing God's will. That's what the culture of the kingdom of God is. Let's go on and talk a little bit more about living the kingdom culture. I want to go back to Romans chapter 12. Uh, in, that ver in that chapter, it says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So think this through. 2,000 years ago in Paul's day, everybody was familiar with the sacrificial system of worship. You would take a living animal, you would bring it to the altar, it would be slaughtered there, and then it would be sacrificed on the altar. So people were making sacrifices to God as worship using dead animals. That's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. When Jesus came... He came to fulfill that old covenant. He became the final sacrifice. His blood was shed for us on the cross. He died so that there wouldn't have to be any more sacrifices made of dead animals. But what Paul is saying here is you don't need to make any more sacrifices but now you need to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. We're not talking about dying. We're talking about, we're talking about sacrificing your values, your will for God's values and God's will. We're talking about embracing the kingdom culture. It's be a sacrifice, not make a sacrifice. Later on in the book of Romans, Paul talks about how we're supposed to live every part of our lives. No compartmentalization. Every single part of our lives for God. And this is what he says. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's this idea that, that we will follow God's will. We'll set aside our will and we'll embrace God's will. We'll, we'll embrace his values, the kingdom values. kingdom culture. Last Friday was the 19th anniversary of the attacks on the United States on September 11th. We all know that story about the two planes that hit the World Trade Center, the one plane that hit the Pentagon, and we also know there was a fourth plane that never reached its target. That was United Flight 
93, and it was headed from Newark to San Francisco. And about 90 minutes into that westbound flight, that Boeing 757 was approaching Cleveland when the hijackers identified themselves to the 34 passengers and seven crew, and they took controls of the cockpit and the plane, and they made a sharp turn heading south straight toward Washington, D.C. One of the passengers on that plane was a man named Todd Beamer. He reached for the airphone plane on the back of the seat in front of him, and he dialed the supervisor through that uh, air carrier, and he explained to her what was happening, and he indicated that he and the other passengers were going to try to do something to try to change what was going on with the hijackers. He explained, uh, the, the GTE uh, ex officer explained to Todd what had already happened at the World Trade Center in the Pentagon. And Todd must have realized at that moment that the hijackers were intent in crashing into another building in the D.C. area. So as he was talking to this woman on the phone, he said, I want you to call my wife. And he gave her her phone number. He said, I, you to, I want you to tell her I love her. And before hanging up, he asked this operator if she would pray the Lord's Prayer with him. Todd was a committed Christian. So they prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And after that prayer, he said, help me, God. Help me, Jesus. And she heard him turn to his other companions and say, all right, guys, let's roll. And we know the story. They overtook the hijackers, and the plane crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. You know, the reality is, Embracing the kingdom culture is probably never going to call you and me to put our lives on the line for others. We're probably not going to have to die for Jesus. But what embracing the kingdom culture means is that if asked to, we would. But more importantly, what it means is we're going to stop embracing the culture of this world and the ways of this world, and we're going to embrace the kingdom culture of God, and we're going to embrace the values of God, and we're going to follow Jesus, even if it's hard, even when it's not easy, even when it calls us to go against the flow of our friends and our culture and whatever is swirling around us. Yes, it's, it's countercultural. Yes, it's how Jesus lived and how he calls us to live. So we live the kingdom culture. As followers of Jesus, he calls us all to do that. I want to close this message and pray that we can all lean into the kingdom culture, not just today, but throughout this series. Now, some of you are saying, well, you know, I don't really know what it means to follow Jesus Honestly, it means that you decide to believe in him and tell him that you want to follow him. So as we move into this prayer time, if you've never told Jesus you believe in him and that you want to follow him, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. And then I'm going to pray for all of us to lean in to the kingdom of, the, of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we come here today, we recognize that you've called us to follow you and to lean into the kingdom of God. Now, if we've never told you we've believed in you and that we want to follow you, we're going to give you that opportunity to do that today. Very simply, wherever you are, you can silently pray these words back to God. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. 
I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And now I want to build my life on following him. So Lord, I pray for each one of us that we could lean into you, that we could embrace the culture of the kingdom of God and that we can live it out so that your kingdom flourishes, so that more people will come to faith in Jesus Christ, so that we will take hold of the life that is truly life, living with you and for you now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.